You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Church, why, do, why are we here? Why do we come? Why do you lend your ears to me for 30, 40, 45 minutes, sometimes more than that? Why do you do that? Why do we listen to preaching? Why does the Bible say it is through the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen to save them that believe? Preaching brings us to a point of decision. First of all, then, if we are going to listen to preaching and if we are going to benefit from preaching, we must understand then that the responsibility of preaching does not fully lie on the person that's standing behind this pulpit. Just as much as there needs to be God's word that is being preached, there needs to be listening ears and there needs to be open hearts. Further than that, we have to admit when we're sitting in the pew that there is a decision that needs to be made. Do we believe that it is just by coincidence that you are here today? Do we believe that God in all of his infinite wisdom just randomly chose you to be here sitting where you are at? Or do we believe that God before the foundation of the world knew that you would be here knew that we would hear what God had from us from his word if he would use me, and knew that there must be a decision that needs to be made. You know, I believe, what that decision is. Could be your foundation decision. It could be the decision to trust Jesus with your life and with your soul. Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? For 13 years, I played church. I was born in church. I knew who Jesus was. I knew all the books of the Bible. I could quote scripture. We had a a program kind of like Bible Blazers where by the time you finished it, over a thousand scriptures you would have read through and hundreds you would have memorized. I went through that program. I knew what the Bible said about Jesus, but I had never understood that it was my sin that was taking me to hell. I never understood that Jesus died for me, not only on my behalf, for me, But because of me, for me, he died. And you need to understand that as well. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking you if you've ever prayed before, if you've been baptized as a baby. I don't want to offend anybody, but if you were baptized as a baby, you you got wet. That's it. You just got wet. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. You need to put your faith and trust in him. But then, church, there's a sanctification process. There are decisions that need to be made. And I believe if we would open our hearts this morning, the Lord would bring us to a point of decision. And would you promise the Lord before we started, Lord, if you show me what that decision would be, is it baptism? Is it salvation? Is it, is it uh, let me put those in order there. Is it salvation? Is it baptism? Is it church membership? Is it a next step of faith? What is it? But Lord, you show me what it is and I will take it. Would you promise the Lord that you would do that? Would you read aloud with me Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1 again? Ecclesiastes 10, 1, all together. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. It was April 11, 1970, when the Apollo 13 spacecraft was launched to the moon. Now, how many of you were alive in 1970? Raise your hand, raise your hand. I wasn't born until 91. Okay, so how many of you remember distinctly the 
the 1970 Apollo 13 space mission. How many of you remember that? Wonderful. So if you remember, many of you, or maybe you learned about it, maybe you weren't alive, but you learned about it, but many of you observed, uh, Apollo 13 was supposed to be the third Apollo mission that landed on the surface of the moon. And, uh, but of course, we know, and many of you observed, that that did not take place. 55 hours and 46 minutes into the mission, one of the crew members named Swaggart, he uh, conducted a routine cryostir of oxygen tank number two, but you know it was nothing close to routine. It caused an explosion that took off pretty much one whole panel of the service module and uh, crippled the spacecraft where they were not able to land on the moon. Now, eventually, NASA was able to get all three astronauts back uh, about four, four horrifying days later. Uh, but an investigation was launched, no pun intended, and an investigation was started in order to see what happened. And here is what they found. The oxygen tank, O2 tank number two, the oxygen tank that exploded was originally installed on the Apollo 10 service module. The decision was made to remove the oxygen tank from Apollo 10, perform some upgrades, and then reinstall it onto the Apollo 13 service module. During the removal of that tank, it was dropped two inches. I want you to think. It was dropped two inches. Okay? The upgrades were installed in the tank, and the upgrades were to allow for higher voltages to travel in the wires to, um, to the heaters that were in the oxygen tank. If you think about it in space, it's, it's going to be kind of a slush of liquid uh, nitrogen. Uh, so there needed to be some heaters there in order to keep it from freezing and everything. So these upgrades were so that more heat could go to it and it could be done more efficiently. However, there were a couple switches in the oxygen tank that were not upgraded in order to be compatible with this change. Tests were run to check the integrity and the uh, functionality of the tanks. And uh, one of these tests was to see if the tanks could drain properly. And there were more than one oxygen tank. Uh, there was O2 tank 1 and O2 tank 2. During these tests, O2 tank 1 drained perfectly. But O2 tank number 2, the one that would eventually explode, was not draining properly. The decision was made to boil off the remaining oxygen, the slush of oxygen, so that it could be drained out. And it worked. So the O2 tank was, that's why it was cleared for the mission. Um, and then it eventually exploded. Follow me here through what NASA said caused the explosion of that O2 tank. They believe that when that O2 tank was dropped two inches, it damaged an internal fill line, something that they could not see, just barely damaged it. And that's why it was not draining properly. Standard procedure was to boil off that excess, uh, that excess slush of oxygen and, and let it drain. So that's exactly what they did. But remember those switches that weren't upgraded in order to be compatible with all the other changes? Those two switches controlled the thermostat to the heaters. Those switches, when working properly, would shut down the heaters when the temperature inside the tank reached 80 degrees Fahrenheit. But because they weren't properly replaced, 
The temperature inside the tank reached 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and nobody knew about it. When it reached that temperature inside, of course, it damaged much of the heating elements and the, and the heat shields of everything in it, but it exposed one bit of wire. And during that routine cryostir, that little bit of exposed wire sparked. And spark and oxygen, no bueno. And that's what caused the explosion. So I want you to think of the Apollo 13 mission. Years, years went into planning that. Months and months of preparation and manuals were written, hours upon hours upon hours of training and preparation by the flight crew and, and um, all of the you know, command center and all that, hours and hours, all that, brought down to nothing because of a two-inch drop, a couple switches, and an exposed wire. And it nearly cost those three men their life and a lot of people their jobs. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is asking the question, what is the purpose of life here? He keeps on using this term, under the sun. What is, vanity of vanities, all is vanity under the sun. Now, the reason he is saying that is because he's lost his view of eternity. He's gotten to the idea that this is all we've got. And if this is all we've got, then live it up, right? Learn as much as you can, spend as much as you can, party as much as you can. But what he's finding out is this life under the sun, if this is all we've got... What a pointless waste of time. I have all the money in the world. He, at one point, he had, I think, $33 million coming in a, a year to his kingdom, just in gold. I have all the money. I've tried it all. I've surrounded myself with all the pleasurable company that you can think of. I've drunk, I've drunk myself crazy. I've partied myself crazy. I've built things. I've torn things down. I've done it all. And it's all just a waste of time. With that being said, even a broken clock is right twice a day. And even though he had lost his view of eternity, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 9 says, because the preacher, or Solomon, because the preacher was wise, and certainly he was, God gave him the wisdom that he had, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge, the Bible says. Even throughout his, and by the way, he gets right at the end and he realizes there is, there is an eternity and there is more to life than this. So don't live for life under the sun, live for life over the sun. Don't lay up all your treasure here. Lay up your treasure in heaven. Now, they said he still taught the people wisdom and he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. One of these proverbs is in Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1. And its lesson is perfectly illustrated by the story that I just told you about the Apollo 13 mission. And it's a lesson that I want us to learn today. The sooner we learn it, the better. And it's something that all, all of us need to learn. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Now, as with any good lesson, it contains multiple lessons that all support the main lesson. We try to teach our children a main lesson. Don't play in the street. But in order to teach, now, if they were just to grasp that, don't play in the street, got it, they would do just fine. But many times, kids don't just grasp that. We tell them the, the what of the lesson, but then we need to come by, okay, here's why. You don't play in the street because you are small, cars are big. When big, fast metal 
hits small, soft bone and tissue and people, you don't win that battle. You look like a half-used tube of toothpaste, and the car looks you know, fine. So you do not play in the street. So we have the main lesson, don't play in the street, but then we teach them a bunch of little lessons to support the main lesson. And that's what any good lesson has. And of course, God in his Bible is going to do all things well. So we have the main lesson of the verse, which we're going to get to, but all these other little lessons here, if we grasp the main surface lesson, we'll do fine. But if we take a little time and we dig a little deeper, it serves to reinforce that main lesson even more. Now, before we go further, we need to define a couple things, okay? We need to find, de define a couple words in the verse before we move forward. So first of all, flies, self-explanatory. Little buzzing insects. I mean, a fly over there is kind of like a fly over here. Now, in Texas, I am learning bugs are big. So you think, I don't live in Illinois because it's cold. I think I didn't live in Texas because we didn't have enormous bugs. The bugs down here are huge. And flies, there was a fly the other day about the size of a dime in my house. It's like, is that a, is that a hummingbird? No, it's a fly. So, but we know what a fly is, right? Okay. What about the next one? Ointment. What is ointment? Let's define ointment. It's an oil-based mixture. You have a cream, that's kind of a water-based, water-soluble thing. And ointment is anything oil-based, okay? Oil-based is going to last a little bit longer. In Bible days, even today, we have oil-based mixtures used for medicine, or in this case, aroma or perfume is what, is what it is uh, being described here. Apothecary, that's not... Sometimes, even today, you see stores, like the something apothecary. Well, the apothecary was the person. An apothecary is a, is a noun talking about a person, not a place. The apothecary is one who mixes and prepares the ointment. We know what flies are, now we know what ointment is, and now we know who the apothecary is, right? So here's the first lesson that I read in verse 1. Kind of the small lesson that supports the main lesson. There are small things and there are big things. That's the first lesson that God is trying to teach us. There are small things and there are big things. Now, when I use the words small and big, I'm not necessarily talking only about size. The verse mentions flies and ointment, correct? Now, certainly flies are small in size, again, unless you live in Texas, and, but small when compared to the ointment mentioned in this verse. But along with this idea of small and big, I see a lesson of quality as well as quantity. Not only size, but sort. Let me explain, okay? So some things in life that are very small in size are quite big when you consider their importance, right? So a diamond, as far as size is concerned, is not very big. However, it is big indeed when it's sitting on the ring finger of a newlywed or sitting on the ring finger of a bride-to-be. That is a very big thing in this life, even though it might be small in size. Small in size, yes, but in sort, very big. Now, the flies mentioned in this verse are small in both size and sort. They're not very important. Not only are they one of the smaller species of insects, they're, they're also very small in the realm of importance. They are seemingly insignificant. We've kind of learned how to ignore flies for the most part. Nobody sheds a tear when a fly is killed, okay? In fact, many people are very joyful when a fly meets its demise. 
I have an outdoor dog, a German Shepherd, just a beautiful dog. I, and I, I prayed for a German Shepherd for so long. And Miss Wallach helped me get a German Shepherd. Uh, and uh, I love him, he's, he, but he's an outdoor dog because Miss Tracy is allergic. Uh, so he stays outside, and during the summer months, the flies come. And the flies are attracted to his food, the flies are attracted to him, the flies are attracted to kind of a lot of things out there, okay? Uh, and whenever I go out to feed him, inevitably, flies are going to come in the door. Now, last year, Everly had this mission. Whenever there was a fly, or as she calls it, a fly, T-H-L-Y, she was going to get what? Not the fly swatter, the sweep flotter. That's what she called it. I need the sweep flotter. I have a video of her saying, I have a sweep flotter. Where's the, fl where's the fly? Where's the fly? I have the sweep flotter. And she would go around just smacking everything. And you should see how excited she would get if she actually got a fly. Okay? But there were so many of them, I ended up getting this bag, one of those bag traps. And oh, it stunk. It was horrible. But I put it out there. And I kind of forgot it was there. I just started noticing, oh, we don't have as many flies inside the house. I went out there at one point, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of flies were in that bag. We didn't conduct a funeral. Okay. <laughs> PETA wasn't called, okay? Uh, nobody was coming up and starting a news story. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, why? Flies are small, insignificant little things. But then the verse mentions ointment. Now, again, when it comes to size, if, if you talked about ointment in Bible days, the containers that they were in weren't very big. From what I've seen in my, um, in my study and kind of my research, an apothecary could make a batch of ointment in a container about the size of a normal bucket. And once the ointment was compounded, it would be poured into smaller containers such as cruises or alabaster boxes where it would be able to keep its aroma. And one can't help but remember how Mary broke an alabaster box. The Bible says, very precious, very precious, broke that alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and poured it on Jesus' head and Jesus' feet. According to the disciples, they said that alabaster box of ointment easily could have been sold for 300 pence. Back then, a pence was a day's wage. That's almost a year's salary. Easily, it could, have been, it could have been sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. So they saw it as a waste. Jesus said, it's not a waste. She did this for my burial. But that is all to support. Was that box big in size? No. In sort? Certainly. You see what I mean? Big in quantity? No, maybe not. Quality? Certainly. And what God is trying to teach us in this, in this verse, there are small things. And there are big things. To compare a fly to ointment is like comparing a piece of straw to a brick of gold. There is no comparison. The value is completely different. There are small things in this world. There are big things in this world. That's lesson number one. But then, if we take that same fly and ointment, and we look at it from a different perspective... It's the same fly, same ointment. From here we see, okay, one's small and one is big as far as importance is concerned. If we look at it from another way, we see another lesson. There are bad things and there are good things. Lesson one, small and big. Lesson two, there are bad things 
And there are good things. Flies, bad. Ointment, good. That's pretty easy for us. I'm sure there's some research out there with Sir David Attenborough narrating, saying that flies help the ecosystem or keep the environment stable or whatever. But for the most part, flies aren't good, okay? <laughs> it's not like, oh, I really enjoyed that picnic. There were so many flies there. Nobody has ever said that. When God wished to bring punishment upon Egypt, he did so in one way, by bringing swarms of flies. And the Bible says they corrupted the land. It's not like the Egyptians were, this is great. They get into your eyes. They, they, they get everything. It's horrible. I've never heard somebody complain at a restaurant, waiter, there is no fly in my soup. Flies are bad. We know what flies are attracted to. And it's nothing good. We know what flies eat, and it's nothing good. We know what flies carry from one landing place to the other, and it's nothing good. They're dirty, they're annoying, they're disgusting, they're diseased. Flies in many ways, if not every way, are bad. Then you have ointment. Now, many ointments have great medicinal qualities, like we use some today, VapoRub. How many of you use VapoRub to try to open up your sinuses, right? And they say, don't put it in your nose. Huh, please. <laughs> or Bacitracin, we use Bacitracin. Or Neosporin, Neosporin is a big one. That's an ointment. Or AND, every parent's greatest weapon. A-N-D for the, for the babies, right? And those are all very good. Now, the ointment that's spoken of in this verse is not necessarily known for the medicinal purposes, but for its aromatic qualities, okay? Uh, these ointments were used for embalming or anointing or as a perfume. Some ointments were known to be so powerful that they could keep their scent for hundreds of years as long as they were kept in a good container. I have an oil diffuser in my office. I got one of those and uh, I had candles and things like that in there, but I just ended up playing with the fire and it wasn't good. So I got an oil diffuser. And the first time I bought that oil diffuser, I got a couple of really cheap essential oils from Walmart or something. But then I was feeling posh one day and I went to HEB and I bought the essential oils. From, no, no, Target. Target is where it was, Target. And I went to their <laughs> essential oil uh, spot and I bought an, an, a mandarin orange essential oil bottle it's about this small, and I think it was $8. Now, I was used to the cheap essential oils from Walmart, okay? Uh, so I, I would load those things in, okay? So I did the same thing with this really fancy orange stuff, and I put about 20 drops in to this little oil diffuser, maybe a cup or a cup and a half. And I turn it on, and I walk outside, I do some work over in here, and then I go back to my office. I open up the fellowship hall, and it smells like Florida. It smells like a citrus grove. And to the point where I had to, I had to pour it out, it was giving me a headache. It was so powerful. And that's basically what we have here, right? So when you think of the benefits of ointment, the medicinal qualities, the healing qualities of them, uh, the different aromas that you can have. Some people like the, the orange smell, and then there's sandalwood and all these different things, and you can mix all these different things. Uh, the sentimental value as a gift back then in Bible times. People would buy these alabaster boxes and give them uh, to these people. Okay, So all of these things, ointment is in many ways, if not in every way, good. Okay. So what's the big deal, one may ask? And you've stayed with me this whole time. 
So what's the big deal? Is looking into this verse that deeply necessary? And I get it. You probably didn't think that you were going to hear about flies and ointments today when you came to church. I understand. And I will grant you that some preachers and commentators look so deeply into a verse that they twist its meaning and completely lose the, the main lesson of it. But I do believe it's necessary. I believe it's necessary to learn the lesson of the small and the big and the bad and the good. I believe it's necessary to think deeply about the fly and the ointment not because of what they are, but because of what they represent. Maybe those things aren't very significant in the grand scheme of things, but what they represent, what they picture, what the fly and the ointment are compared to in this verse are what calls us to think deeply about them. Look again in the verse. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth, here's the comparison, a little folly... A little folly, him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Dead flies, some small bad bugs, are compared to a little folly. And then ointment, something precious and good, a, a great product is compared to the reputation or the life of somebody who has wisdom and honor. So with these comparisons in mind, we then can see the main lesson here that the Lord is trying to teach. Even the biggest and best and most precious things can be ruined by small bad things. Do you catch that lesson? There are good things in life, there are bad things in life. There's small things and there's big things. And the big things can be ruined by the small things. The good things, it, it's a mistake to think that the only threat to a big good thing is a big bad thing. It's a mistake to believe that. And that is what this, this proverb is teaching. It wasn't an asteroid that took down Apollo 13, although I'm sure that they were calculating for that and watching for that. They certainly did need to look for that. It was a two-inch drop, it was a couple switches, and an exposed wire. That was it. Did they need to watch for the big bad things? Certainly, but they missed. They missed small bad things. And that is what brought them down. When that apothecary was done mixing that batch of ointment, I'm sure if anyone came close to the mixing bowl, he said, be careful. Don't bump into it. Don't bump into it. Don't spill it. That would ruin the ointment. I'm sure he said that. I'm sure he watched for that. When he was pouring it from the bucket to the other container, I'm sure he looked at the containers and he looked at the crews and he looked at the alabaster box to see if there were any cracks, to see if there were any breaks, to see if there were any compromises in the structure because if he poured it out into a container that couldn't hold it, it would ruin the ointment. I'm sure that he looked through all of that. When he finally got it in the box or in the cruise, he probably put it on the sturdiest shelf in the safest spot in his shop. Why? Because it's a precious thing. It's a good thing, and I don't want it falling. I don't want it being damaged. I don't want all of my hard work going to waste. I'm sure he looked through all of that. Now, I want you, I want you to imagine with me him putting a couple things up on the shelf, making sure that it's all set, turning around, and walking back to his mixing bowl. And when he walks back to his mixing bowl, he notices a few things. First of all, he notices that there is still ointment left in the batch that he just made. 
And let's say that the ointment left in that batch that he just made was worth a lot of money, more money than the batch that he just put away. The second thing that he notices is the time. It's closing time. Time to go home, time to relax, come back at it the next day. But then the last thing he notices is he notices a few flies buzzing around. A few flies buzzing around in his shop. Should he get rid of them? Should he kill them? Ah, what's the big deal? There's just a couple flies, right? Kind of insignificant. Bad, yes, but small and unimportant. Honestly, he doesn't pay really much attention to it. He just goes to closing up the shop. Now, he's very careful to lock everything because he's in a very lucrative business. Thieves and burglars could come in and ruin all of his work. So he locks everything, makes sure that everything is taken care of there, kind of double checks the lock, walks back home for the day, gets a good rest. Wakes up the next morning, he's coming into work. And the best part of his day, he believes, is that first step that he takes into the shop. Because in that first step, he kind of gets the smog and the, uh, all of just the, the air out in, in public, kind of gets that out, and he's able to step into his shop and smell all the fruits of his labor, if you will. But that next morning, he walks in, and he doesn't smell what he usually smells. Smells something different. Now, being a professional smeller, if you will, he finds exactly what the source of it is. And what used to be giving off an aroma, there was now an odor, and there's a difference. What used to smell now stinks. Where once there was something beautiful, there was something hideous. Where once was something valuable, now there's something ruined. Flies had flown into the ointment and died. And his work was ruined. Not because it fell. He made sure it wouldn't fall. Not because he spilled it. He was very careful. He didn't want to spill it. Not because thieves broke in and took everything. No, no, he locked everything, and he made sure that he guarded against those big, bad things. But a couple flies get into the mixture and die. And it's made worthless. A few small, bad things ruined a good, important, precious, and valuable thing. So doth a little folly him that is held in, or that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Now, church, if you've been following me through this, you're going to understand what I mean when I say this. We must learn to guard against the flies just as much as we guard against everything else. Are we following? You are that apothecary. And that ointment is your life here on earth. And your life here on earth is precious because it's made up of precious elements. What is your life made up of? Well, time. Time is very precious. It's made up of the days and the years and the months. Just a short, limited amount of time that the Bible calls a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Your life is made up of the daily decisions that we make. It's made up of the people that God has placed around us. It's made up of the family that God has trusted to us. It's made up of the lessons that we've learned. It's made up of the memories that we've made. And those are all incredibly precious elements. And they become even more precious when we learn how to care for them wisely. When we learn how to take those elements that everybody has and use them in, in accordance to God's word. Yes, our time may be short, 
But God's word teaches us how to redeem the time. Each day we are faced with decisions. God's word teaches us we can have a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so that we can make the right decisions. Every decision we have, there's a right one and there's a wrong one. God's word teaches us what the right word, what the right one is. God's word teaches us how to love and care for the people around us. God's word teaches us the truths and the lessons that help and grow and protect and lead us in this life. God's word shows us how we can make sweet and pure memories, not memories that are tainted by sin and, and things that we have to be regretful of. And it's when we hear and obey God's word that we can live a life of true wisdom and honor. If anyone is in reputation of wisdom and honor, it's because they're following God's word. That is something that is incredibly precious, is it not? That is also something that Satan would love to destroy. He's not your friend. He hates godly lessons learned. He hates godly friends and family. He hates the decisions that you make for God. He wants to take your precious life and ruin it because he hates you. He wants to take you to hell. Is there any greater hate? Jesus wants to take you to heaven. Is there any greater love? Satan wants to take you to hell. There is no greater hate. Satan would find great joy in taking the alabaster box of your life and smashing it to pieces. Now think about this with me. Satan has destroyed many lives by what we may call extreme sin and monstrous wickedness. You can think of adultery or murder or genocide even, addiction to drugs and alcohol, blasphemy against God, apostasy. And the list can go on and on of truly unspeakable iniquities and atrocities that can be that can be performed by man. Abortion, just the 60 million babies that have been aborted in, in America since Roe versus Wade has been passed, that is disgusting. And he is ruining lives because of it. I've talked to people very close to me who are unsaved and said, I remember doing that to one of my children and I, I see them. They literally have, have visions that haunt them. Oh, pastor, do you believe in that? Absolutely. There is a spiritual warfare. I am haunted by that decision. I've murdered my child. I've heard them say that. And my life will never be the same. So we learn to guard against those things. We see them coming from a long way off, and we should guard against them. We can never say that we, are, that we are not capable of committing even the greatest of sins because every heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The moment you say, I would never do that, watch out. Satan loves a challenge. Yes, I know that Satan comes at our weaknesses. He knows what our weaknesses are. But the Bible says that we should walk circumspectly if you are walking forward, any good enemy, we have some infantrymen in here, any good enemy knows how to attack from behind if you'll let them. That's why you're supposed to watch the six, right? Watch the six. And if you don't, if you're going to make it that easy, of course he will. But if he sees you walking circumspectly, he'll take you head on. He'll take you head on. He loves a challenge. 
If he can bring down the strong, he'll terrify the weak. So we guard against those things. Many times we can see those big and bad things that we know would ruin our lives and they disgust us and they alarm us and they cause us to take every single action to protect our lives from such evil. But Satan has brought down many more people using the small and so-called unimportant or insignificant sins of this world. The flies. There are people in this church who Satan, he would never convince you to pick up a gun and shoot somebody in the head with it and kill them. He would never convince you to do that. And yet he's ruining your life just as effectively through unforgiveness and bitterness and gossip and hatred. Would you ever pick up a gun and point it at somebody and murder them in cold blood? You would say, no, absolutely not. How disgusting, how alarming. In fact, I'm offended that you would even think that of me. Why won't you forgive your brother? Why won't you let go of your bitterness? Why do you keep saying things behind their back that you would never say in front of their face? The Bible says if you have a problem with the brother, talk to him about it. Why do you think it's okay to hate someone in your heart? 1 John 3.15 Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. We got some full-blown serial killers in here. And God sees all of it. Just as much as killing somebody by shooting them would ruin your life, so do the flies of hatred and gossip and envy and strife and sedition and discord and bitterness. But those are small things. Easy to ignore. Easy to overlook. Easy to hide. If you're going to pick up a gun and shoot somebody, that's a lot to hide. You've got to hide the noise. You've got to hide the body. You've got to hide the blood. You've got to hide all that stuff. Pastor, have you thought about this? No. <laughs> but those small things are easy to ignore, easy to hide, easy to believe. They're not a big deal. But all it takes, all it takes is a couple small Bad things, just a little folly to ruin a life that is otherwise something great and precious. And Satan knows that. What is folly? Folly is doing something that we know we're not supposed to do or not doing something that we know we're supposed to do. That's folly. That's foolishness. If you know you're supposed to do something, do it. If you know you're not supposed to do something, don't do it. But that's all it takes. That's all it takes. Like dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor, so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Are you guarding against the flies today? That's my message. We guard against the internet, and we guard against movies, and we guard against TV shows. And gentlemen, if you don't, you're a fool. No man should have a phone in his pocket no man should have a computer anywhere that doesn't have some type of protection. Why is it quiet? Gentlemen, do you trust your flesh? No man, no man should be unaccountable in that area. That's another reason I don't watch sports anymore. Because all these commercials pop up and the halftime show and everything. And ladies, ladies, if your husband says, oh, the cheerleaders don't bother me, he's lying. He's a liar. We need to guard ourselves against that, and we should. We guard against the internet, and we guard against the movies, and we guard against the TV shows. Some of these TV shows that are coming out that are just open for anyone to watch. 
are straight up nudity. So we guard against those things, but do we guard against the fly of that second glance to that billboard? The fly of the second glance to that magazine in the checkout aisle. Do we guard against that? Satan can ruin your life with that. We guard against where we go in reality. We watch the places that we visit. We guard against what we could be exposed to there. But do we guard against the fly of an idle mind? Oh, we don't let our bodies go anywhere. But do we guard against the fly of an idle mind that takes our minds to places we ought never to go? We guard against addiction, addiction to drugs and alcohol. Do we guard against the addiction of social media? Addiction to social media will ruin your life just as addiction to drugs and alcohol will. We are in a Addicted society. And do you real it's it's designed, church, it's designed to do that. You are not Facebook's customer. You are Facebook's product. Do you understand that? You are not Instagram's customer. You are their product. The more people that join their program, the more advertising they get, the more it comes popping up into your face, the more of that endorphin rush we get, the more that they keep you on. We have, we have husbands and wives that wake up in the morning and they're on their phone before they talk to each other. You have an addiction. That's a problem. We have families sitting across from each other at restaurants that won't say a word because they're on their phone the entire time. That's an addiction. That's a problem. We have a generation that, of young men and young ladies that don't even know how to look a man in the eye when they talk to him. I get nervous when I talk to an adult, to a, to a young person that doesn't look me in the eye when I talk to him. We have a generation of people who know how to hold a phone but don't know how to shake a hand. Who know how to post something on Facebook but don't know how to hold a job. Because we're addicted. And just as much as we have this war on drugs, there should be an all-out war. And there will be from this pulpit on social media. Because as much as I would not allow, if I knew that 70, 80% of my church was smoking marijuana, you better believe I would preach against it and say, put it down. What are you doing? So many of us, are, our lives are being eaten up. What is our life made up of? Limited time. Huh? <laughs> What? <laughs> Refresh. No likes yet. Refresh. Refresh. Oh, should I delete it? Ooh, a like. Okay, it's good. What are we doing? We're addicted. Oh, but that's a small thing. Yep, I know. I know, I'm not saying it's not. It's a fly in the grand scheme of things. But what is the Bible teaching us here? We guard against the great sin of neglecting church entirely, but do we guard against the fly of neglecting church intermittently? We would never leave church altogether. Do we, do we guard against the fly of neglecting church attentively? You're here today. Are you here? You're sitting in a pew. Are you here? Is your body here or is your heart here? Because Satan can ruin your life 
with the fly of inattention in church just as much as he can ruin your life out of church. And he's doing it to many people. We guard against the fly of apostasy. But do we guard against the fly of compromise? Oh, we would never forsake the faith, but can Satan get you to change it? You may as well forsake it at that point. If we would never allow our lives to be ruined by the quote-unquote great sins of the world, why would we allow them to be ruined by flies? Just a moment of pride. A little selfishness. The love of ease, some procrastination. A shadow of doubt. A day of irritability. Oversensitivity to both praise and blame. The Bible says we are supposed to be dead to ourselves. Go up to a dead man, poke him, stab him, pinch him, kiss him. He, he can't feel it. He's dead. Church, we're supposed to be dead. When we live our lives overly sensitive to both praise and blame, might be a fly, but Satan will use it. A little vanity is all it takes for Satan to turn a life upside down. Abraham, good man? Yes, the only man who is called the friend of God in the Bible. All he did was take a trip down to Egypt during a famine. Moses hit a rock. Church, Moses hit a rock. Now, I understand there was more to it than that. But on the outside, he hit a rock. Or let's say that he lost his temper. He lost his temper and he hit a rock instead of speaking to it. Satan used it. Elimelech and Naomi just went to sojourn in Moab, turned into a 10-year trip. King David stayed home from battle when he should have gone to fight. Peter simply followed Jesus afar off. You know what all those decisions were? Just a little folly in what was otherwise known in, in, in the life of a man who was otherwise known for wisdom and honor. That's all it was, a little folly. And in each of those Bible stories, Satan used it, and if it wasn't for the grace of God, they would have been completely destroyed. No wonder God warns us about Satan, and he calls him a name, Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. There's a reason. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Maybe the Lord of the Flies is going to be buzzing all over you. You serve the Lord of Lords. Trust in him. There are small things, there are bad things. Or, I'm sorry, there are small things, there are big things. There are bad things, there are small things. But even the biggest and best and most precious of things can be ruined by small, bad things. The fly buzzing around your head while driving can distract you from the road just as much, of a blind, just as much as a blindfold can. Flies in the ointment can ruin it just as much as dropping it can. A little folly can ruin your life just as much as the greatest wickedness you can imagine. Shoo the flies away. Shoo them away. Get the sweep flotter. Take care of business. Guard the alabaster box of your life. Do you know why Satan wants to destroy it? Not just because it's precious, but because the Lord gave us this life for a reason. So that we could give something back to him. And I want you to think of how Mary guarded, must have guarded that alabaster box. And the day came when she had an opportunity. And she took it 
and she gave it all to him. Satan doesn't want that of you. He will do anything he can to ruin it. Church, guard it. Against the thieves, against the drops, against everything, but against the flies as well, so that one day you can give it to him. You have some very precious things in your life, maybe heirlooms or something like that, or maybe there's something that you are wanting in your life right now. Do you realize how precious you are to Jesus? How can you tell how precious somebody is to somebody else? How can you tell? What you spend on it. How much are you willing to spend on something? That shows you how much you care for it, how precious it is in your sight. Jesus redeemed you. Not with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with his precious blood. That is what he saw in you. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. You were that joy. He wants to use your life. Satan wants to ruin it. Guard against flies as much as you guard against everything else so that you can give the Lord a life that is useful and precious. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.